the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we'll cover much of the day's headlines. We'll talk about what's happening between Russia and Ukraine and much more. We'll also hear from Chris Orestes. He is a CSA and president of Retirement Genius. He's a retirement and long-term care planning expert, senior issues advocate, and author. The question we'll be addressing, will 5G put older Americans in a bind? Uh, AT&T um, has recently ended their 3G coverage in favor of 4G. We'll find out what that might mean moving forward. We'll also hear a classic interview with Chris Thurman, the 30th anniversary edition of his book, The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life, the book published by Thomas Nelson. And we'll also take a look at Ukraine-American churches deploying praise as their weapon of war in the midst of a conflict many, 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 many miles away. Well, taking a look at uh, the day's news following the updated CDC guidance that relaxed COVID-19 masking recommendations, California, Oregon and Washington state will drop their mask mandates for K through 12 public schools in mid-March. With declining case rates and hospitalizations across the West, California, Oregon and Washington are moving together to update their masking guidance. The governors announced in a joint statement earlier today. Well, the new directive will also apply to more indoor settings in all three states in addition to schools. Many Republican-controlled states lifted their mask requirements months ago, but now that COVID transmission and hospitalization rates are decreasing nationwide and the CDC is giving the green light, Democratic-dominated states on the east and west coasts are following suit ahead of the president's Tuesday State of the Union address. Well, many Republicans have argued that the science hasn't changed, but public opinion on the matter and polling on party performance certainly has, prompting the shift. So it's science, but it's more political science. Two years ago today, we identified Oregon's first case of COVID-19. Oregon Governor Kate Brown said in her statement, on the West Coast, our communities and economies rather are linked. Together, as we continue to recover from the Omicron surge, we will build resiliency and prepare for the next variant and the next pandemic, end quote. Well, in California, masks will no longer be required, but strongly recommended in indoor settings, regardless of vaccination status, starting Tuesday. The policy will be effective in schools and child care facilities starting March the 12th. According to the statement, New York City Mayor Eric Adams and New York Governor Kathy Hochul, they recently nixed mask mandates for indoor settings and for public schools. Adams also dropped the vaccine passport for indoor recreational venues in the city starting early March. Well, the interstate movement to ease pandemic restrictions suggests a growing consensus that COVID-19 is becoming endemic and that citizens must learn to live with it to avoid further disrupting uh, economies, livelihoods and children who may uh, who many parents claim have borne the brunt of restrictions in the form of academic and social regression. Well, it's not just parents who are making that claim, but other professionals, health care and education as well. 
Well, peace negotiations between Russian and Ukrainian officials on the Ukraine-Belarus border ended without a clear resolution this morning as the Russian military continued its offensive. Ukraine said its objective for the talks, which it agreed to without preconditions, are an immediate ceasefire and withdrawal of Russian troops, the office of President Zelensky confirmed yesterday. Ukraine's delegation included Ukraine's defense minister and several high-ranking officials, but not Zelensky himself. And while they were unable to agree on a ceasefire, the top advisor to the president, Zelensky, said they would convene for a second round of peace talks after each delegation returns to its capital to assess the other side's demands. Russian negotiator Vladimir Medensky said Russia wants to come to an agreement that serves both parties. Really? Well, the Ukrainian delegation invited Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich, uh, the owner of the Chelsea Football Club, to the United Kingdom or in the United Kingdom to help achieve a peaceful resolution, according to the Jerusalem Post. Zelensky had previously rejected Belarus as a location for a peace meeting, protesting that it was not neutral territory, given that it's become a, a launch pad for Russian military operations. Warsaw, Bratislava. Budapest, Istanbul, Baku, we proposed all that to the Russian side. Any other city would work for us, too, in a country from whose territory rockets are not being fired, Zelensky said in a video. Belarus has officially dropped its non-nuclear status in a referendum to allow the country to host Russian nuclear weapons, opening the door for more military cooperation with Russia if the war escalates. Russian news agencies reported on Monday. Well, as Russia coaxes Belarus into its corner, President Zelensky has signaled an interest in expanding Ukraine's incorporation into the West's uh, West rather to help to counter the enemy. Zelensky has requested immediate membership in the European Union under a special procedure, saying our goal is to be with all Europeans and most importantly, to be equal. I'm sure that's fair. I am sure we deserve it, he said in a speech circulated on social media. We'll continue to follow that story as it inevitably will continue. Well, is Belarus entering the war? A senior U.S. intelligence official says Belarus is expected to send troops into Ukraine to fight alongside Russia. And Russia is being scrutinized. The role they play in the U.N. is under fresh scrutiny. And the Ukrainian president demands Moscow be stripped of its vote. Easier said than done. We'll follow that developing story. Fearless versus feckless. Well, the images of Ukrainian President Zelensky on the ground in Ukraine helping his countrymen fight is drawing a strong contrast with Russian President Vladimir Putin, observers say. We're not seeing the shirtless dictator astride a tank entering Kiev. Ukrainian-Americans are lending their support. New Jersey residents gathered to support the men and women fighting against Russian forces. Well, lawmakers will be mask-free as uh, face coverings are now optional for President Joe Biden's State of the Union address tomorrow. House Minority Leader Representative Kevin McCarthy, Republican out of California, described Vladimir Putin as reckless, evil and dangerous. Former President Donald Trump easily won the 2024 GOP presidential nomination straw poll at the CPAC gathering. More on that later, if time permits. All but one of the major candidates in Ohio's GOP showdown spotlighted their support for Donald Trump. Presidential Press Secretary Jen Psaki did not respond to accusations on Biden's mental capacity, but instead focused on Biden's State of the Union address coming up tomorrow. Author Gordon G. Chang warned that President Biden's lack of faction against Russia will help China's efforts to marginalize the United States. 
President Putin's actions are strengthening. British ambassador to the U.S. Dame Karen Pierce said Vladimir Putin's aggressive and destabilizing behavior has strengthened NATO allies, the opposite of what he had hoped for. Representative Dan Crenshaw said the longtime war on fossil fuels enabled Russia to invade Ukraine. Well, Ukrainian will is on full display as day five of Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine unfolds. Ukrainian civilians are determined to fight for their families, their homes and their freedoms. And former Pentagon chief of staff Kash Patel slammed President Biden for his colossal failure of leadership. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories of the day. We'll continue to do that. Uh, later in the second hour, we'll hear from Chris Arrestus on whether or not 5G is going to put older Americans at a disadvantage. And we'll hear from Chris Thurman on the 30th anniversary edition of his book, The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the program, we'll talk with the president of Retirement Genius, Chris Orestes. So we'll talk about uh, whether or not 5G will put older Americans with old technology at a disadvantage. And we'll hear from Chris Thurman regarding the 30th anniversary edition of his book, The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life. Now back to some of the day's headlines. Nikki Haley, former U.N. ambassador, reflected on the heroism of um, Ukraine's people and the leadership, calling it inspiring the free world to support their cause. While Rebecca Grant points out that President uh, Zelensky is winning the social media war. Thomas Pyle opines Americans across the country are hurting financially in large part thanks to policies enacted out of Washington, D.C. over the past year. Russian President Putin has put nuclear deterrent on alert. Western countries aren't only taking unfriendly actions against our country in the economic sphere, but top officials from leading NATO members made aggressive statements regarding our country, Mr. Putin told Defense Minister uh, Sergei uh, Shogu and Armed Forces Chief, uh, Chief of Staff Valery Karamasov in a briefing um, a broadcast on state television. Meanwhile, hundreds of Ukrainian citizens have been killed by Russian troops, including over a dozen children. But though uh, many feared Russia would control Ukraine within 24 hours, they still haven't uh, taken a major city after four days. From another story in the Wall Street Journal, the um, uh, the Kremlin's ongoing invasion represents the most formidable challenge for the Russian military since it was modernized under General um, Valery, whose last name I won't mispronounce, Russian top military officer who was appointed to his post in 2012. Yet no Ukrainian cities have been taken by the Russian military. Some of the Ukrainian Air Force and air defenses are still intact. Western officials and analysts say that Russia's strategy has been based on the premise that an initial barrage of missile strikes and a thrust toward Ukraine's capital would bring about the quick collapse of President Zelensky's government. Mr. Zelensky, however, remains defiant while facing long odds. Mitt Romney says the Ukrainians have galvanized the spirit of the entire world. The contrast of that kind of leadership and puny nature of Vladimir Putin's tyranny has helped people understand the difference between good and evil. And again from the Wall Street Journal editorial board, Vladimir Putin's Ukraine invasion isn't going according to his script. And for that 
The world owes a great debt of, to the heroic people of that besieged country of 41 million. Their resistance against fearsome odds is an inspiration and has awakened the world to the menace of the Kremlin autocrat. Ukraine deserves more support to raise the costs of war for Mr. Putin with arms, the toughest sanctions and global um, ostracism. And from Marco Rubio, hashtag Russian military leaders should think very carefully before following the orders they recently received. Hashtag Putin is two years shy of the life expectancy of a Russian male and you will spend the rest of your lives evading an international tribunal for committing his crimes. Hmm. Russian citizens are searching for cash as the West imposes sanctions on banks. People in Moscow and other Russian cities stormed ATMs and bank branches in search of cash, both uh, in rubles and dollars, as they feared a collapse of the national currency and inability to use international payment systems. Now, many of these Russians are opposed to the actions that have currently been taken by its leaders, but will feel the pinch. Queues of people searching for withdraw, uh, to withdraw foreign currencies started to form as early as Thursday morning after the decision by Russian President Vladimir Putin to start a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, sending the ruble to its historic lows. A Financial Times reporter could witness that some branches of international banks ran out of U.S. dollars by midday that day. That's Thursday. Hugh Hewitt weighs in, saying the sort of second-order impacts Putin may not have counted on. Imagine shock of bank runs on top of plunging values of Russian stocks, real estate, businesses dependent on foreign purchases, and, of course, tourism. Putin now's frozen uh, by sunk costs, he asks. And the Washington Times says videos from Russian Russia show long lines of Russians trying to withdraw cash from ATMs while the Russian central bank issued a statement calling for calm in an effort to avoid bank runs. Reports also show that visas and MasterCard uh, were no longer being accepted for those with international bank accounts. In other news, President Biden is behind as uh, other countries have stepped up to help Ukraine. Surprised by the unusually rapid European decision, the White House scrambled over the weekend to catch up in drafting its own related measures. The latest sanctions mean that Western allies are uh, effectively waging financial war against Russia more specifically against Vladimir Putin. From Hugh Hewitt, Putin might be uh, concluding that the lack of comprehensive sanctions for his attack on Ukraine might mean the United States and its allies are not willing to pay the sort of price that would back up their words with actions. Uh, what should the president do? Back the immediate exile of every Russian bank with the, uh, from the SWIFT messaging system that knits together international finances. Ban travel to and from Russia, including a cruise ship. Call for NATO nations to expel every wealthy Putin crony. Exp- um, expropriate uh, Russian assets for the settlement of Ukrainian claims. Go on the cyber offensive. Don't wait to be hit. It's a very sobering uh, list of suggestions. Mike Pompeo says it is uh, high past time the United States led in the removal of all Russian banks from the Society of Worldwide Interbank uh, Financial Telecommunication. This will hobble Russian ec- uh, Russia economically and affect great costs upon the Russian oligarchs who empower Putin. Regrettably, it will also hurt the Russian people who must demand different leadership now, keeping in mind that they pay a very high price for expressing their dissent. Russia's oligarchs, whose international holdings hide Putin, uh, must be more broadly sanctioned across the globe for their wealth supports Russian president. America must lead if uh, other nations are to follow. After pressure from the UK, BP is bailing on their 20 percent stake in Russian oil. Poll says 62 percent of voters say Putin wouldn't have invaded if Trump were president. Of course, that's speculative, but 
seems to be somewhat informed. The story also notes a majority of Americans polled, 59 percent, also said they believe that the Russian president moved on Ukraine because Putin saw weakness in our current president. From Condoleezza Rice on Putin, he was always calculating and cold, but this is different. He seems erratic. There is an ever-deepening delusional rendering of history. It was always a kind of victimology about what had happened to them. But now it goes back to blaming Lenin for the foundation of Kiev in Ukraine. And Gary Kasparov says Ukraine's only sin was to try to join the free world of democracy and prosperity. This was unforgivably unforgivable to Putin. But instead of being embraced and protected by the nations it wished to join, they kept Ukraine at arm's length and did business with its terminator. Uh, protests against Russia continue around the world from Times Square to Berlin. Protesters risk arrest in Russia, but continue nonetheless. You can read more about that in The Washington Times. President Biden nominated Katanji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. The Wall Street Journal points out after reviewing so many of Judge Jackson's judicial opinions, we have no doubt of her capabilities. We can't discern whether she has any uh, cognizable judicial philosophy that could guide her approach to the sort of fraught legal questions that the Supreme Court confronts term after term. Her loudest advocates are confident that she'll serve them well, and her uh, record supports that view. With 50 Democratic senators, that may be enough. Senator Ted Cruz says, well, I have concerns about how President Biden is handling this nomination process. I look forward to evaluating Judge Jackson on her record, views and judicial philosophy alone. Sadly, Senate Democrats have undermined the American people's confidence in previous judicial confirmation processes with vicious personal smears and unfounded accusations. These kinds of shameless attacks demeaned the Senate and made a mockery of our constitutional role in providing advice and consent to the president on nominations. I believe Judge Jackson should be treated with the dignity and decorum that has been lacking from the consideration of past nominations. President Biden has refused to increase oil production, though pressed to do just that. Instead, in the middle of this crisis, the White House talks renewable energy. John Fund says it's clear that the Biden administration is infested with um, devotees of green energy who are hostile to the fossil fuels we urgently need right now. So, too, is the European Union, whose president, Ursula van der Leyen, has just called for the continent to massively invest in renewables, a dubious short-term course given the limitations of wind and solar technology. Just this month, Biden appointees at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission erected regulatory barriers that essentially makes it impossible for the United States to ever build another LNG export terminal. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia called the move reckless. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Elon Musk has restored internet to Ukraine with the Starlink satellite after a request from Vice Prime Minister of the Ukraine. Um, Mr. Fedorov, the request and the reply were made on Twitter. According to an ABC News Washington Post poll, President Biden's approval rating is down to 37 percent. And the poll finds Republicans in Congress with a whopping 10 point lead among likely voters, the highest in 40 years. Independents favor the GOP by 14 points. Of course, until you're actually at the ballot box, those people have to vote and uh, have that same opinion at the time voting takes place. President Biden says things are much better, but Americans are blinded by COVID. The New York Times says 
um, says this uh, is no time to stop fearing COVID. The newspaper is clearly stressed that people aren't in a panic Worrying the rush to return to normality in light of an improving national outlook for coronavirus cases has many public health experts concerned that the end of the Omicron surge is incorrectly being uh, conflated with the end of the pandemic because apparently the American people aren't bright enough to make the distinction. Facebook and Twitter are giving aid and comfort to Russia. Big tech social media companies, Facebook and Twitter, have a history of censoring conservatives, including banning Donald Trump in January of 2021. But they evidently have little problem with Russia's government officials using their platform to spread anti-Ukraine propaganda. The Kremlin's official Twitter account, which boasts 1.2 million followers, continues to post frequent updates on Vladimir Putin's activities. Likewise, the Kremlin's Facebook page with 3 million followers celebrated Putin with a Defender of the Fatherland Day post. Other Russian officials, such as the heads of the Ministry of Defense and Ministry of Foreign Affairs, are posting messages with no limitations if it weren't for double standards. Well, you know the rest. Well, the masking science has changed. Really? Congress's doctor on Sunday advised congressional staff that the wearing of masks is no longer needed. Dr. Brian Mohan noted new guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and declaring that the Washington, D.C. region is now in a green level or low level in this new CDC scheme regarding the rate of COVID infections and therefore indoor mask wearing is no longer a requirement. Politics rather than science was the deciding factor for this sudden policy change, some predict, as it comes just two days before the president's State of the Union address. The president wants a visual representation of victory over COVID and a room full of unmasked lawmakers will help sell it. Might be a cynical view. Might be an accurate view. You can decide. Is the University of Maryland's anti-Semitic task force chief an anti-Semite? Jasmine Bacardo, the University of Maryland's recently appointed head of the school's Jewish Identity Programming Advisory Committee as a division of its Office of Diversity and Inclusion, has been called out by two Jewish alumni promoting anti-Semitic views. Last May, Hamas launched a days-long, unprovoked and indiscriminate rocket attack against Israel. Picardo took to her social media page to blame Israel for the attack, saying the Jewish nation was guilty of settler colonialism and that the mainstream media have continuously worked to conceal Israel's ongoing genocide and ethnic cleansing of Palestine, end quote. Well, the two Jewish alumni reached out to Picardo to correct her, noting that anti-Zionism is undoubtedly anti-Semitism because you are denying the Jewish people a right to self-determination. Naturally, Picardo dismissed the charge. Ironically, the University of Maryland has seen several anti-Semitic incidents since it first convened its Jewish Identity Programming Advisory Committee back in 2020. Texas ranchers have rejected President Biden's aid for damages resulting from illegal alien trafficking. Ranchers and landowners in Texas have responded with skepticism toward the president's Department of Agriculture over its plan to pay them for damages suffered from massive Uh, immigration trespassing on their land. Last week, the USDA initiated a reimbursement plan for farmers and ranchers in 33 Texas counties to help them with uh, damaged fences, crops and livestock fatalities due to the administration's open borders policies. Well, William Barr says former President Donald Trump is unfit to lead as he urged the GOP to move on in 2024. He's got a new book coming out. He certainly burnt that bridge. New York's uh, governor has boosted Chinese companies under U.S. sanctions. And Hawaii keeps the mask mandate despite new CDC guidelines.
The Florida GOP advanced a bill regulating classroom discussion of sexual orientation. And Glenn Youngkin rescinded the critical race theory-inspired program from the Virginia Department of Education. Johnson & Johnson settled a $26 billion lawsuit over its role in the opioid crisis. And the founder of a cryptocurrency company has been indicted for a Ponzi scheme. Well, on this day in history, 1844, a 12-inch gun aboard the USS Princeton explodes a ship sailing on the Potomac River, killing Secretary of State Abel Upshur and Navy Secretary Thomas Gilmer and several others. 1849, the California Gold Rush begins in earnest as a regular steamship service starts bringing gold seekers to San Francisco. 1911, President William Howard Taft nominates William H. Lewis to be the first black assistant attorney general of the United States. 1917, the Associated Press reports that the United States obtained a diplomatic communication sent by German Foreign Minister Arthur Zimmerman to a German official in Mexico proposing a German alliance with Mexico and Japan should the U.S. enter World War I. Outrage over the telegram would help propel America into that conflict. 1953, scientists James D. Watson and Francis H.C. Crick announced they have discovered the double helix structure of DNA. 1993, a gun battle erupts at a religious compound near Waco, Texas, when Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearm agents uh, try to arrest Branch Davidian leader David Koresh. On weapons charges, four agents and six Davidians are killed as a 51-day standoff begins. 1995, Denver International Airport opens after 16 months of delays and $3.2 billion in budget overruns. 2009, Paul Harvey, the news commentator and radio talk uh, uh, pioneer, whose staccato style made him one of the nation's most familiar voices, dies in Phoenix at age 90. 2009, Oakland Raiders linebacker Marcus uh, Cooper, free agent NFL defense lineman Corey Smith, and former South Florida player William Bleakley die when their boat overturns in rough seas off the coast of Florida. On this day in history, 2013, Bradley Manning, the Army private arrested in the biggest leak of classified information in U.S. history, pleads guilty at Fort Meade, Maryland, to 10 charges involving illegal uh, possession or distribution of classified materials. Manning, who later adopts the female identity Chelsea Manning, would be sentenced to up to 35 years in prison after being convicted of additional charges in a court-martial. His sentence would be commuted in 2017 by President Obama. 2013, on this day in history, Pope Benedict becomes the first pope in 600 years to resign, ending an eight-year pontificate. Benedict would be succeeded uh, the following month by Pope Francis. 2014, delivering a blunt warning to Moscow, President Obama expresses deep concern over reported military activity inside Ukraine by Russia and warns there will be costs for any intervention. 2018, Walmart announces that it would no longer sell firearms and ammunition to people younger than 21 and would remove items resembling assault-style rifles from its website. Dick's Sporting Goods also says it would stop selling assault-style rifles and ban the sale of all guns to anyone under 21. 2018, students and teachers returned under police guard to uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, as classes resumed for the first time since the shooting that killed 17 people. Imagine returning to the scene of the crime. And finally, 2018, on this day in history, political leaders pay tribute to the Reverend Billy Graham as his casket rests in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll talk with Chris Oristis. He is the president of Retirement Genius. We'll talk about 5G and what impact that's likely to have on older Americans. And Chris Thurman, author of the 30th anniversary edition of his classic, The Lies We Believe. That's coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to the second hour, a conversation with Chris Orestes. He is a CSA, president of Retirement Genius, is a retirement and long-term care planning expert and senior issue advocate and author. We'll be talking about 5G and whether that or not that's going to put uh, uh, older Americans with 3G technology in a bind in the months to come. We'll also hear from Chris Thurman in a classic interview regarding his 30th anniversary edition of The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform. Transform Your Life, the book published by Thomas Nelson. We'll take a look at the Ukrainian church in America deploying uh, weapons of war, and in their case, praise and prayer. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, Donald Trump managed to win the Conservative Political Action Conference straw poll on Sunday with 59% of respondents saying they would vote for the former president in the 2024 presidential primary, assuming he were to run again. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was runner-up with 28% of the vote, according to the poll conducted at CPAC by secret ballot. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo trailed with um, 2%. 97% of CPAC attendees said they approve of Trump and 83% saying they strongly approve. Meanwhile, in a poll of potential 2024 candidates without Trump, DeSantis support jumps to 61%. Pompeo received 6% of the vote, as did Donald Trump Jr. Senators Ted Cruz of Texas, Rand Paul of Kentucky, as well as South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem received 3% of the vote each. Former Vice President Mike Pence received 1% of the vote. Meanwhile, the polling showed a scathing rebuke of President Biden. No surprise there, it is CPAC after all. Granting him 99% disapproval and saying his incompetence is the greatest threat to America's safety and national security. Meanwhile, former Attorney General Bill Barr is... um, unsparing in his criticism of former President Donald Trump, according to uh, an early preview of his forthcoming tell-all book. According to the Wall Street Journal, the former AG goes after his ex-boss regularly over the course of his 600 pages, um, one thing after another, although who uses more colorful language, which is set to release on the 8th of March. That would be next Tuesday. In the book, Barr sets fire to the former president's false claim that the 2020 election was rigged against him. The election was not stolen, Barr wrote. Trump lost it. The former AG added that he believes Trump would have won if he had just exercised a modicum of self-restraint, moderating even a little of his pettiness. He also called for the Republican Party to move on from Trump and his erratic personal behavior in 2024. Barr recounts the December 1st Oval Office meeting in which Trump berated him for publicly saying he found no evidence of widespread voter fraud. This is killing me, killing me. This is pulling the rug right out from under me. Trump screamed at Barr, according to the book. The former president added, you must hate Trump. You would only do this if you hate Trump, end quote. Well, the journal concluded its preview of the book by including this line from Barr blaming the January 6th Capitol attack squarely on Trump. And again, this is a Barr quote. The absurd lengths to which he took his stolen election claim led to the rioting on Capitol Hill, end quote out on March the 8th. 
Well, in good times or bad, American presidents come to Congress with a diagnosis that hardly differs over the decades. In their State of the Union speeches, they declare the state of our union is strong, or words very much like it. President Biden's uh, fellow Americans, though, have other ideas about the state that they're in, and little hope that his speech Tuesday will turn anything around. Well, America's strength is being sharply tested from within and now from afar, as fate over... uh, uh, overnight, made Biden a wartime president in someone else's war, leading the West's response to a Russian invasion of Ukraine that exacerbates all his other problems. The State of the Union di- is disunity. It's a state of exhaustion from the pandemic. It's about feeling gouged at the grocery store and gas pump. It is so low that some Americans, even prominent ones, are exalting Russian President Vladimir Putin, Putin rather, uh, in his attack on a democracy. Well, measures of happiness have little have hit the bottom, rather, with few Americans saying they are very happy in a 2021 general social survey that ever before in five decades of asking them. This is what uh, a grand funk looks like. Four decades ago, President Jimmy Carter confronted a national crisis of confidence in a speech describing a national malaise without using that word. But Vice President Kamala Harris told an interviewer last month there is a level of malaise in this country now. Well, today's national psyche is one of fatigue and frustration, the melee of our time. But the divides run deeper and solutions may be more elusive than the energy crisis, inflation and sense of drift uh, of that time. We'll take today's climate of discourse. It is so cold, says Rachel Hoops, a, a charity executive in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, who voted for Biden. It's hard to see uh, see how him talking to us can break through when so many people can't uh, talk to one another. And that's another deep problem. Yet after Russia's attack on Ukraine last week, an old reflex kicked back in as lawmakers projected unity, at least for now, in the confrontation with Moscow. We're all together at this point, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, and we need to be together about what should be done. Politics didn't stop at the water's edge, but it paused, though not at um, Mar-a-Lago at Ocean's Edge in Florida, where Donald Trump praised Putin's savvy genius move against the country that... Um, entangle the defeated American president in his first impeachment trial. All of that said, the president's uh, State of the Union address is scheduled for Tuesday. That would be tomorrow. So make plans to listen. Russia's role in the United Nations, where it sits on the Security Council, is under fresh scrutiny as it presides over the council's discussions of its invasion into Ukraine. And the Ukrainian president demands Moscow be stripped of its vote to deprive the aggressor a country of the right to vote in the U.N. Security Council to qualify Russian actions and statements as genocide of the Ukrainian people to help with the delivery of corpses of Russian soldiers talked about in its uh, conversation with U.N. Secretary General Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky tweeted. Well, that came after uh, Russia voted a Security Council resolution that denounced its invasion of Ukraine and called on it to withdraw. Well, the call to take Russia out of the Security Council has found support among some Republican lawmakers in the uh, United States. Senator Marsha Blackburn, she plans to introduce a resolution to encourage the U.N. to remove Russia from the Security Council. Well, after the fall of the Soviet Union, Russia took the Soviet Union spot, a move that was not challenged. Meanwhile, the presidency of the council rotates on a month-by-month basis. Russia is the president for February and will be replaced by the United Arab Emirates in March. The U.S. will preside over the council in May. And after a weak uh, initial effort last week, the U.S. and Europe are getting more serious about pursuing the wealth of Vladimir Putin's billionaire 
uh, uh, cronies, the uh, country said Saturday they cre- they're creating a transatlantic task force to find and seize their ill-gotten assets. The task force will identify, hunt down and freeze the assets of sanctioned Russian companies and oligarchs. That's a quote from a senior uh, Biden administration official. We'll go after their yachts, their luxury apartments, their money and their ability to send their kids to fancy colleges in the West. Well, that's progress, assuming they follow through and expand the sanctions list to all the right people. But the oligarchs are starting to squeal, and that could have an impact on the forward movement in Ukraine. Also, Vladimir Putin's assault on Ukraine is opening many eyes, and perhaps the biggest awakening is in Germany. The invasion has produced what amounts to an epiphany in German defense and foreign policy. On Saturday, Germany's chancellery said it would send 1,000 anti-tank weapons and 500 Stinger surface-to-air missiles to Ukraine as quickly as possible. That's a reversal of Berlin's policy since World War II of not supplying lethal weapons. Germany also agreed Saturday to allow a ban on some Russian banks from using the Swift financial clearinghouse after opposing this for weeks. Credit goes to Italy and France for changing their minds on SWIFT first, leaving Germany as the last major holdout. That was a prelude to Chancellor Olaf Scholz's speech to Parliament on Sunday, in which he announced the most radical overhaul of German security and defense policy since 1945. Berlin is stepping back from its decades-long effort with Moscow and is going all-in on NATO. Mr. Scholz vowed to increase defense spending to 2% of gross domestic product, as all NATO members are supposed to do, and offering a 100 billion, is it pound, uh, top up of the defense budget this year as a down payment to that promise. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. Uh, up next, we'll hear from Chris Orestes. He's a CSA and president of Retirement Genius. We'll talk about uh, the switch to 5G, which AT&T has done in the elimination of 3G, the impact it's likely to have on seniors. And we'll hear from Chris Thurman, 30th anniversary edition of The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, last week, AT&T became the first mobile network to disable its 3G network as it transitions to 5G. Other companies are expected to follow this year. Well, the big question is, could the switch to 5G put senior safety and quality of life at risk? Well, to discuss how the 5G switch and other technological advancements will impact seniors, uh, senior advocate and retirement expert Chris Orestes joins us. He is president of Retirement Genius, is a retirement and long-term care planning expert, senior issues advocate, and author. He has uh, t- over 25 years' experience in the insurance and long-term care industries and also created the use of life settlements for long-term care purposes. Known as a political insider and senior issues advocate, he's a former Washington, D.C. lobbyist who has worked in both the White House and for the the Senate Majority Leader on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is an issue of some considerable concern as the population ages. Welcome. Well, thank you. And, and it is. This is an important discussion to be having and very timely because it is unfolding as we speak. Well, it absolutely is. Now, I know there was some early controversy as to whether or not uh, the companies like AT&T should move to 5G, uh, concerned with the airlines and so on. Is that moving forward? And have those issues been resolved? 
Yeah, the issues around the airlines have been resolved. There was a delay in the rollout so that that could be better addressed. It really was uh, where signal towers were close to airports and could potentially interfere with uh, traffic control signals, and that was uh, rectified. So now we're into the stage where it's the rollout, the consumer rollout, and, and how that can impact people. There's about 10 million users around the country that still are operating with, with older phones on 3G networks, uh, and those networks are going to be completely discontinued. So of those 10 million, a lot of those folks are seniors uh, that have held on to older phones, and those when the 3G signals are gone, they're gone, and those phones will simply no longer be able to work. To what degree are seniors reliant on cell phones as opposed to landlines? I mean, I still have my landline connected at home, but I, I never answer that phone. I'm always on my uh, on my uh, cell phone. For the senior population generally, are they tethered to the landlines or have they made the transition as well to cell phones? You know, there's still a good number of seniors with landlines. My, my son's tease me and say, Dad, did you literally used to have a phone hanging on a wall? <laughs> you know, uh, and but there's still, as, as a lot of households have moved away from landlines mm-hmm. and live on their cell phones, still, I'd say seniors, as much as there are a lot of them that held on to the older phones on the 3G networks, a lot of them still have landlines. So they have that as as a landline, as a, as a lifeline, because One of the most dangerous things for seniors is to be living in isolation Mm -hmm. and unable to communicate. And so many do. And their ability to communicate is so important. But having them on better technology, on on stronger connection is actually good for them. So there'll be a transition that that they'll have to go through to, to get off of a 3G and onto either 4G or up as much as a 5G signal a lot of phones out there still are on 4g systems Mm -hmm. and those will still work for some time on the 5g networks but those are going to get phased out too uh and so for people who have hung on to phones maybe a little too long you you can sort of look at it as an opportunity to to here's a reason to move to a better phone better signal more updated technology maybe longer battery life, which are all better things for seniors to stay connected. You have pointed out that studies show that seniors living in isolation have a shorter life expectancy, lower quality of life than their contemporaries who are able to stay connected. So staying connected. I have a 91-year-old living in my household. My mom lives with my husband and me. And that Mm -hmm. connection is absolutely vital for her um, not just physical health, but her mental health as well. I recently had to upgrade my phone, and I hate getting a new phone because you have to adapt to all of the, the new uh, features, although it's the same phone, essentially. How challenging is that for, for seniors who will be forced to make that transition? Well, it, it's true. It is a challenge. And, and for even people who are technologically inclined, making that move over to a new phone or any kind of new technology, a new computer, a new TV that's maybe, you know, wireless and, and, and a smart TV. Those are challenges, but it's important that seniors know they can get assistance. They can get help, particularly from their from the provider, the service provider, if they're on AT&T, if they're on Verizon, 
uh, any whoever they're getting their phone service and their phone from will help them. They can get assistance remotely or in person. Uh, and as you know, people are kind of coming back out now into being more secure about being able to interact in person. They can go to to a store, get set up. They'll do a lot of the most of the mm-hmm. work for you, quite frankly. If you go in, they'll get it all set up for you. Uh, and some of the companies will even offer you a free phone. If, if, if you're a senior and you're, you're on a 3G old phone that now is going to, to no longer work, if you reach out to AT&T, we'll give you a free phone as a replacement. Verizon is not doing free phones, but they'll give you very good discounted deals to get you into a much better phone. They'll work with you to get it set up, work with you to make sure you know what you're doing, and then hopefully – with family, you could get some more support from loved ones who might be able to help you make that transition. But it's important because there's so much that seniors can get from technology to help them stay connected, to help them stay safer. Uh, there are families who will use technology to help uh, monitor somebody who's living mm-hmm. remotely. More seniors can access health care through telemedicine. And to do that, you want to have better technology so that you can talk screen to screen. Uh, and so making this transition, although it will be always annoying and a bit of a pain, it's an important one to get to the other side, to get on a stronger network, to get using better technology, to take advantage of those things that will improve your life. You're just going to have to put a little work in into it. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention it for family members who might be listening and are unaware of the fact that 3G for at least AT&T and in the future, other companies will no longer be available. So you need to walk a family member through that process of upgrading so that they can stay connected with the people they love and critical support systems and services. One of the things I think we've all learned through this pandemic and the isolation that's been imposed is that it's important that telemedicine providers, we can connect with them, monitoring services that they're working with. Well, delivery services for food and medicines that we have access to all of that. And that may mean you need to upgrade the technology you currently right. have to, to make sure that you have access to all of those things. Right, right, right. Telemedicine, except at its most basic level, you really even can't do it over a landline. It's, it's worked much better if somebody can communicate either with a screen, you know, on a mm-hmm. computer or a tablet or, or, or with a, with a, a smartphone. Uh, and monitoring systems in case somebody falls, somebody needs help, uh, and then staying connected, being able to talk to your children, your grandchildren. You know, if they're on on really good technology and you're on a phone that you got 10, 15 years ago, I mean, God bless you that you were able to keep it going this long. But at some point, it it really, you have to make the transition. And and so, you know, this is the right time to to make it. Don't, Don't try and fight it. Go with it. Take advantage of the help you can get from the phone companies, the the potential to get free or very discounted phones, the service that they will give you, particularly for seniors, that they know this is confusing, this is frustrating. They will put in the time. They will work with you. If you can go into one of their service centers, one of the the shops at a mall or or what have you, they'll sit down with you. If If it takes an hour to go through it with you, they'll do it, and they'll do it patiently and they'll do a really good job for you take advantage of the help take advantage of the of the technology and you know don't bury your head in the sand and certainly don't let yourself go silent don't let that phone go dead and you just give up and sit there in silence you can't do it 
you got to do the work and you, you've got to go with the changes as they're coming. Yeah, absolutely. You are the author of three books, Help on the Way, um, A Survival Guide to Aging, and your third book, I'm not sure if it's out yet, Retire Like a Genius. Uh, is that that one published? Not yet. That'll be coming out later this year. Can't wait to get it out. Because what we do with Retirement Genius and what we're talking about in my latest book, uh, uh, Retire Like a Genius, is talking about how seniors and, 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 and people who are haven't yet retired can build up to a well-balanced retirement. The information they need and access to the resources to help them deal with financial planning, health and long-term care security, and lifestyle enrichment, bringing all three of those things together so you have a well-balanced, truly fulfilling retirement. It's not enough to just either you know, have a bunch of money, but you but you don't have your health. You, you want all three, mm-hmm. and there's strategies and things you need to do to get there so that when you arrive at retirement, when you're living in your retirement, you're fulfilled, you're secure, and you're healthy. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for bringing us up to date with regard to the move toward 5G technology that's coming, whether you're with AT&T or some of the other providers, it's coming and uh, 3G will no longer be available uh, at some point in the not too distant future. Thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, uh, retirementgenius.com is the website if you want to learn more. That's on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page and at kpdq.com if you'd like to follow up. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me today. Really appreciate it. Again, Chris Arrestus is a CSA, president of Retirement Genius, is a retirement and long-term uh, care planning expert. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we'll hear from Chris Thurman, the 30th anniversary edition of The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life, the book published by Thomas Nelson. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, in a world like ours that's veering dangerously off course comes a classic work that unmasks the lies that you and I unwittingly believe. Well, in this completely revised and updated 30th anniversary edition of The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life, psychologist Dr. Chris Thurman guides readers through the lies we believe about ourselves, relationships, life, men and women, and most importantly, lies we believe about God. He then discusses the 12 essential truths for emotional health and the truth about God, the ultimate source of truth. While releasing simultaneously is The Lies We Believe, workbook, and it helps readers identify problem areas and mid-course corrections needed and how we view ourselves and our world. Well, Dr. Chris Thurman is a psychologist, best-selling author, sought-after speaker, a charter member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Dr. Thurman worked at the uh, Minerith Meyer Clinic for six years before entering private practice more than 25 years ago. Uh, he and his family live in Austin, Texas, and I am just delighted to celebrate the 30th anniversary edition of this classic, The Lies We Believe, and to welcome the good doctor to the program here today. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Thurman. So much for having me. Uh, let me just ask you a, a bit about 30 years ago when this book was first released. At that time, you were addressing a, a set of lies that were common uh, to the human soul, if you will, at that time. Has it changed much since then uh, in terms of writing about the things that we believe that are false today as compared to 30 years ago? You know, Georgina, I don't think fundamentally that the lies uh, are all that different uh, today. 
I do think we have come to understand how to help people renew their minds at a more uh, effective level. So I think that has changed. But, you know, the lies that we believe as human beings are pretty stable over time. And we're just uh, constantly having to battle with them and, and try to move in the direction of truth. This is a common thread, then, that human nature, we tend to embrace lies about ourselves and others. I suppose that begs the press, the question, then, where do these lies that we believe come from? Do we originate these lies in our own hearts? Are they suggested to us by our common em- enemy? Where do these lies that we believe come from? Well, I think they come from a, a number of sources. So it's not just one source, but Uh, My own view is that we all enter the world with a broken thinker. Mm -hmm. So I think when we get here as little ones, we're already predisposed to not view reality accurately. So that's kind of working against us from the start. And then, you know, not to psychobabble it or, or lay it off on parents, but how we're raised, you know, if we're raised lovingly, Uh, kindly, graciously, then we tend to think one way. And if we're raised in a more uh, hurtful, uh, wounding kind of way, then we develop tapes in our minds uh, that are different. Certainly, if we grow up in the church, we can actually be taught some things from the pulpit that uh, helpfully shape our thinking, but sometimes we get taught theological error Another factor is the world that we live in. The world is full of, you know, it's just overrun with thousands and thousands of different viewpoints. So what we're taught out of psychology and new age and all that is a factor for why we think like we do. And then finally, the the enemy, the perpetrator, the father of lies. We, We are under attack every day from the deceiver. And he is delighted to get us to believe things that are not true. Mm. Now, it is very difficult for us to let go of a lie that we have embraced as truth when we have come to believe that this is true, perhaps about me. Um, Is it because there is a grain of truth in it? Is it because uh, we just tend to believe what we have have uh, embraced early on? Why is it so difficult for us to let go of things that we are uh, told are, are not true? Well, I think when we initially are told something that isn't true or treated in a way that isn't commensurate with being um, image bearers who are made in the image of God, uh, we end up internalizing false beliefs about ourselves and the world, but we think they're true. So out of the gate, we're buying into something that we believe to be true Even if later on we discover that it wasn't, it's going to be a tough switch to make. You know, if I've been thinking a certain way for 20 or 30 or 40 years, it's going to be really hard to admit that I I haven't been seeing it correctly. It's going to be hard to even buy into the idea that there's a different way of looking at something that would uh, be more accurate and serve me better. So I think we just get entrenched. We're we're in a form of mental bondage, if you will, to faulty views of reality, but we think that they're correct. Yeah. Now, what is the truth model that you write about, and why is it important for us to understand uh, when we're reading uh, the book? Well, the truth model was my way of trying to take the biblical notion as a man thinketh, as women and men thinketh, so are they, and put it into model form. 
So basically the, the first T is the trigger event. The R is the ruined thoughts that come into play for how we interpret the event. The U is the unhealthy reaction that we typically have first uh, when we're kind of on autopilot. The second T is truthful thoughts. We're told whatever is lovely, true, pure, and worthwhile to think on these things. And then the H is healthy reaction, which may not show up immediately. It may be that we have to work the model pretty hard for weeks and months to start to see the results come in. But sooner or later, if we will persevere, we're going to end up having healthier reactions to the trigger events that we run into. Well, in this 30th anniversary, um, revised and updated version of The Lies We Believe, I'm happy to reassure our listeners that the emphasis really is on renewing our minds and transforming our lives and, and giving us a pattern so that we can move in the right direction to do uh, just that in revising and updating the book, what because it seemed like such a thoroughly uh, competent book in the beginning, what kinds of things did you need to update in order to make it uh, more relevant perhaps in the twenty first century than when it was first released? Yeah, well, I appreciate the compliment, Georgine, and uh, I think uh, basically, as the anniversary approached, I knew that I had learned quite a bit over the 30 years. I knew I had been reading and thinking and working with enough clients to have, a, I hope, a deeper understanding of renewing the mind. So I felt like, you know, this really is a book that, however well-received it was initially, it really can be improved. And so there are 12 brand-new chapters in the book and every chapter that made the cut from the original has been completely revamped. And there's the content, I hope, is so much better. The writing style, I hope, is a little bit more uh, 21st century. And uh, so I was just very, very thankful that I had a chance to uh, go in and completely remodel the book. In what ways are the lies that we believe damaging to not only ourselves, but to others and our understanding of and our sense of who God is? Well, uh, they are damaging to ourselves. So if we walk around thinking that we're worthless, for example, we're going to walk around damaging ourselves with more depression, anxiety, self-condemnation. But if you're believing things that are not true, it's going to damage your relationships with others because you won't treat them properly. If, if, for example, you're taking what people do personally, if you fall into that mental trap, which all of us do, you're not going to react well to somebody being rude or impolite or even betraying you or doing something more egregious. Uh, certainly, if we don't see God for who he is, then we're going to either run from God out of, you know, fear that he's mean and hateful and out to get us, or we're going to uh, just think of him in too much of a uh, selfish way as if he's here just to give us everything we want. Uh, so these lies, you know, it's, it's back to the issue of garbage in, garbage out. If you believe things that are not true, you're going to pay for it across all the dimensions of life. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. So stay with us. We're talking with Dr. Chris Thurman. His book, The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life, has been completely revised and updated with the 30th anniversary edition. It is certainly worth reading and working through. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. So do please stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with uh, psychologist, best-selling author, and popular speaker, Dr. Chris Thurman. His uh, marvelous book, The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind and Transform Your Life, has been revised and updated with this 30th anniversary edition. You will find it more helpful than perhaps you did first. And, of course, a whole new generation, generations, have access to the book now as well. Um, We want to uh, continue this conversation, and I want to encourage you. The book is published by Thomas Nelson. It's currently available, and uh, this is a great way to deal with uh, some of the issues that uh, plague, well, essentially all of us. Let's talk about what mental strongholds are, and first of all, what they are, and how and why we need to overcome them. Well, you know, most of the time, Georgine, I think we talk about behavioral strongholds, you know, that we get into... Mm -hmm. uh, behavioral habits, and that's certainly valid. It's important to talk about strongholds in our behavior where we're having trouble stopping a behavior that's wrong or um, breaking free from it. But in this book, the focus is on uh, you can get into a mental stronghold just as much as a behavioral one. And therefore, if you're like me, you can walk around the planet spending your whole life in bondage to a faulty belief. And for me, that one example has been perfectionism. You Mm. know, I've struggled with perfectionism my whole life. I think I came into the world fairly wired that way anyways. But uh, that's a a mental stronghold for me is the idea that you have to be perfect. And if you're not, it's horrible and you need to beat yourself up. So we, we are, I think, supposed to not only tear down behavioral strongholds, but toxic mental strongholds. Are there differences between the may, the way men and women uh, embrace lies about themselves? Well, I think we share in common so much more than we don't. So across all the faulty beliefs, I think, you know, it's common unto men and women both to think in these faulty, unbiblical ways. But I will say that uh, after 40 years of private practice, I have, I think, picked up on some of the nuanced ways that men and women tend to think in terms of gender-related misbeliefs. Uh, So I do think there are some differences, but I wrote those two chapters with great fear and trembling, I've got to tell you, because uh, I did not want to stereotype. Mm -hmm. I did not want to play into harming men and women by trotting out beliefs that were more stereotypically ascribed to men and women. I wanted it to be fairly accurate. Now, before we move forward, I want to just mention some of the lies that you uh, write about. I, um, I must have everyone's love and approval. My worth is determined by how I perform. Others should accept me just the way I am. To get along, everyone needs to think, feel, and act the same way. Um, God's love has to be earned. Or um, you can have it all. You shouldn't have to wait for what you want. Um, Another is my main job in life is to make everyone happy. It's not okay to speak my mind. Um, Another lie is um, my good intentions ought to satisfy everyone. These are some of the very common and sadly to say very familiar thoughts that we have and embrace and accept as truth um, that that are not. 
Now, let's talk about the way the book is structured, because as we read perhaps one of these lies that we have embraced as our own, how do we, first of all, identify it in ourselves and then walk toward truth that helps to transform us and to renew our mind? Well, part of the way I wrote the book was to, uh, if, if people got anything else from it, by just reading it, they were going to be more aware of what their faulty beliefs are. So it's written in such a way that you will minimally come out of the book with, you know, I didn't even think that was a faulty way of thinking, but if, if Chris is right, uh, it is. Um, and then the same thing about the section of the truths that we must believe. Uh, that, to me, if you'll just read that, you'll have a better sense of what the core truths are for emotional health. But the reason I felt led to write a workbook was I really wanted to drive all this home in a deeper manner. And I knew that people needed a workbook to where they're given assignments. And so I have people do self-assessments in each chapter. I have them do writing assignments. And then I have them do basically behavioral change assignments so that God can really work on transforming their minds and helping them live uh, a life in a healthier manner. Mm. What's, what is life like when a, a lie has been embraced, one comes to the truth, the mind has been renewed? What what might one expect life to be like then? I, I ask the question because when you're comfortable um, in a lie, uh, truth might seem so ethereal and far off that one can't imagine life any different. What is that freedom like? Well, that's the right word, is what it feels like is freedom. Mm. Uh, I, I believe that is one of the main markers that you've come out of something, is that you are metaphorically lighter on your mental feet, and you are not so weighed down, because lies are just like a 5,000-pound weight. And I'm reminded of that verse about it was for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And I think the enemy, via lies, wants us in bondage, and that's because it, it really is like pushing a boulder uphill. And once you come out of a lie, you'll start to be lighter. You'll start to be freer. And the other wonderful benefit is that you go from rather toxic emotions to emotions like joy, peace, contentment, and so on. So you have you have the enjoyable emotions come back online, and that alone is just an incredible reward for working on renewing your mind. In The Lies We Believe, the 30th anniversary edition, you uh, write about four lies that are always in play when human beings are destructive to themselves and each other. What are these four lies? Well, if I'm remembering the uh, (laughs) reference, uh, I think uh, a core package of lies has to do with shame. So when I'm working with clients, I'm always on the lookout for shame-related thinking. And one lie related to shame is that I'm worthless, that I have no worth. A second is that I'm unworthy of love, that I am fundamentally not worthy of love just given who I am. A third is that if there is a rupture in a relationship with another person, it has to be my fault. It can't have been co-created, so it's all on me. And the fourth is that it's not okay to be a human being and make mistakes. 
a human being and make mistakes. We all make them. What we make of the outcome of those mistakes, I think, makes all the difference in the world. How is it that we come to the notion that as a human being, it's not all right to make a mistake since we are prone from the very beginning to do little else? Well, again, not to psychobabble things, but um, we don't experience down here on Earth anything close to unconditional love. So most of the time we are treated on the basis of whether or not our behavior is correct or right or good or if it's not. So I think we internalize a sense of it's not okay to make mistakes because people are going to withdraw love or they're going to treat me badly. So I better not make any mistakes because I sure don't want to damage how people are treating me. So I think that's why if a kid can be raised in an environment where their mistakes are not rubbed in their face, but they are simply helped graciously to correct them, then I I think they are a little bit more likely to uh, grow up in a healthier way, uh, feel a little bit less um, conditionally worthwhile, and not be on the performance trap their whole lives. Mm Mm-hmm which is what the culture certainly tells us. What advice do you have for someone listening who's having a hard time discovering and believing uh, the truth that you highlight throughout the book and we find throughout Scripture? Well, I would want to encourage them. Um, I would want to say I have compassion for you. Uh, To me, my heart breaks when I think about how all of us are walking around in this toxic mental stew of false beliefs that are costing us the abundant life. Uh, but I would want to encourage people, please don't grow weary. This is doable. You have to have a fighter's spirit. You know, you have to not throw in the towel. But this, you know, the mind can be renewed. If we can think a bad, false thought and pay for it, we can think a good, right thought and benefit from it. Well, Dr. Thurman, I so appreciate the time that you have um, given to this program today, but most importantly, that you would take the time to revise and update your 30th uh, anniversary edition of The Lies We Believe. I think it is still relevant today, and I think people will find it as helpful now as they did when it was originally published, and I want to encourage our listeners to avail themselves of this uh, great resource. Thank you for talking with us. Georgine, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. By the way, the book is published by Thomas Nelson and is currently available, and you'll want to check out the completely revised and updated edition, uh, the 30th anniversary, The Lies We Believe, Renew Your Mind, and Transform Your Life. If you want to know how to do that, what's the process, this book will walk you through it. All right, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, of course, we've all been following and praying about the details and the issues regarding the, uh, the country of Ukraine and Russia, uh, resisting the temptation to make villains of Russians in our community to, and, the, and the Russian people in general who um, are loath to protest, but many have. Um, And we are loath to, as members of the body of Christ, to separate ourselves based on what's happening there. So I thought I would close today's program with a report on Ukrainian-American churches who are deploying a weapon of, uh, of battle. And their chosen weapon is praise. Evangelical Ukrainian churches in the home of the largest Ukrainian population here in the U.S. wept and prayed on Sunday, having escaped persecution in the Soviet Union themselves. These are older 
Ukrainians, they already have testimonies of God's faithfulness. So they are deploying their weapons, and that is on their knees, literally. Well, on Sunday, Ukrainian evangelicals in New York City gathered in their churches. They wept, they vented, they sang, feeling the existential threat to their loved ones and their homeland alongside people around the world. Well, as President Vladimir Putin put his nuclear forces on high alert, the Ukrainian-Americans call their praise songs their weapons of war. Now, we sing that song, many of us, that song that that talks about I'm going to fight from my knees. Well, we sing it, but we haven't really been in a position, perhaps, where we've literally had to fight on our knees. That is precisely what they have chosen to do. It's not because they can't do anything else. It's because it's the best thing they can do. So as uh, Vladimir Putin put his nuclear forces on high alert, the Ukrainian-Americans called their praise songs weapons of war. Outside the churches on A um, blue-skied morning, fellow New Yorkers continued protests against the Russian invasion, with some of the worshipers joining them after the service. Well, New York City has the largest Ukrainian population here in the United States. It's a community of about 150,000, excuse me, historically concentrated in the East Village of Manhattan and Brighton Beach in Brooklyn. Well, thousands had come to the United States as religious refugees, most of them Baptist and Pentecostal, under a special asylum for those fleeing Soviet religious persecution at that time. In the East Village, some of those refugees attend Cornerstone First Ukrainian Assemblies of God. Some of those refugees wear elderly women in traditional headscarves worship alongside young people in sweatshirts. Well, the Pentecostal congregation now includes Russians, Nigerians, Belarusians with services, and a mix of Ukrainian, Russian, and English. Excuse me. So this is a multicultural international congregation. Uh, Many at Cornerstone have family in Ukraine and fear that their fate as the war continues day by day. On Sunday, one woman with the white hair swept uh, through the, uh, the whole or rather wept through the whole service. What can we do but stay in prayer and cry out to God? Uh, This is a quote from elderly uh, Peter Pritash who lived much of his life in Ukraine and is now a U.S. citizen. Well, as the nuclear threat escalated tensions, people in the service were in disbelief about how quickly the situation has spiraled. Our minds fail to understand. How is this possible in this day and age? Uh, Mr. Pratesh, um, before the congregation, said, God allowed this to happen and we do not know why, but we know God is sovereign. He is on the throne. There are people who think if they kill someone, it will accomplish a goal. But that's not the case. Cornerstone's worship team that day included a Ukrainian jazz saxophonist uh, who was touring here in the United States and recording an album with American jazz pianist Bob James when the war broke out. Now he can't get back to Ukraine where his wife and young daughter are stuck. His flight was supposed to leave on Monday, but with all the commercial flights to Ukraine grounded due to the war, he came to the Sunday service with his saxophone. Our hope is in the Lord, he said, the one who holds things together. Uh, He was uh, speaking to the church after sharing his situation and thanking them for prayers. No matter how things fall apart, the Lord created this world and he holds things in his hands. People murmured amen and let out some sniffles as they wept through his words. Well, two of his musician friends in Russia who spoke publicly against the invasion are now in prison. 
That's what happens when you speak out there. He said after the service, Ukrainian culture and the arts were flourishing the last few years, but now it's in jeopardy. I don't want to live under Putin's regime, end quote. Well, he played through tears. He was trying to figure out if he could get to Poland despite not having a visa and somehow meet his wife and daughter there. And he could think about was or rather all he could think about was a nuclear attack. His wife and daughter don't know even how tonight is going to be. Even if a nuclear attack happens, he told the church in Ukrainian, the hope we have is uh, we go home. Uh, We will all be together with Jesus. The one we know will help us. One of the members translated his words to the congregation in English. Again, this is a multinational church. Well, during the service, people quietly strolled through news articles on their phones. One of the Cornerstone pastors acknowledged that many in the congregation might feel like they wish they could be in the Ukraine since they don't know how to help from the U.S., but the non-anxious presence of Christ that transcends human conflict, he urged them. Uh, maybe all of you have to offer to, um, uh, to God is prayers and tears. It's important to create time to lament before the Lord. One of the elders of the church uh, said that he was too old to serve in the army, but he had imagined what, it would, uh, what he would do if he could. Today our weapons are here, he prayed. We can call upon God and pray to him. He quoted Ephesians 6.12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. With a church of people with different backgrounds, the uh, pastor said after the service that the pastors have been praying against conflict within the church on this topic. He said that they've been unified so far uh, that none of us uh, wants this. Well, he uh, was born in Moscow, and his parents are from Belarus, though he grew up in the United States. His grandfather was imprisoned for his Pentecostal faith in the Soviet Union. He said his parents were regularly mocked for their faith throughout the service. He um, hopped up the to translate in Ukrainian or Russian. He and his wife both have relatives in Ukraine. So he has connection with all of the nations uh, involved. This is pure evil from Putin's regime, he said, thinking about his grandfather and the persecution of evangelicals in Russia. He said, we don't want history to repeat itself. Well, communities of Slavic evangelicals grew in the 1990s around U.S. churches with the largest population of evangelical refugees settled in Sacramento, California. According to historian Catherine Warner, in communities of converted Ukrainians and global evangelism, the 1989 Lautenberg Amendment, which gave special assignment uh, asylum rather to those who were fleeing Soviet religious persecution, continues to this day. Cornerstone has served as an oasis for immigrants, uh, the elder says, and he hopes it will be a landing place for anyone who comes to the United States fleeing Ukraine. Well, his church was not alone in its lament on Sunday. A Korean congregation with ties to the church showed up in solidarity and filled the back quarter of the pews. As the church sang, How Great Is Our God, in various languages, in Ukrainian, the Korean church members sang along in English with their hands lifted. This is such an incredible picture. You've got Belarusians, Russians, Ukrainians who are at odds with one another, at least through the leadership. Uh, You have a Korean church uh, who has come to sing and support them in prayer. Only the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers could create this kind of Um, This kind of unity. Well, the pastor thanked them for coming, said afterward how glad uh, they were to have other Christians to sit with those who were suffering. And they recognized the value and the absolute necessity for prayer through all of this um, uh, this series of events that have taken place uh, in impacting every one of these people from various countries who are in one way or another uh, involved or at least impacted. 
Well, the Kremlin had hoped for a quick victory on the battlefield, a decapitation of the Ukrainian president, perhaps not literally, but certainly politically, his government, and a divided West too feckless to respond to Russian aggression. But instead, Russian troops have encountered a Ukrainian people in arms, a lion-hearted comedian-turned-president who has rallied his nation, and a Western alliance that is in um, fits and starts rising to counter Putin's challenge. We spoke earlier today about the fact that Putin has lost Germany, and that certainly was not a part of his calculation. Well, in the past 96 hours since Putin declared a war from the uh, denazification of Ukraine, as he put it, Punishing sanctions have been leveled on Russian banks, businesses and oligarchs who are themselves beginning to squawk. One by one, European countries have closed their airspace to Russian owned or operated flights. NATO has announced the activation of its rapid reaction force, ordering it to reinforce the alliance's uh, eastern flank. Next, in a stunning speech to the German Bundestag, Chancellor Olaf Scholz has declared that in the face of Russian aggression, Germany will rearm and spend 2% of GDP on defense from now on every year. Berlin will also fund an immediate $110 billion infusion into the German military in order to improve its roundly criticized readiness. Well, from here, it only gets worse. The agreement that Western governments will reduce Russian access to SWIFT, the international cooperative uh, cooperative rather that facilitates cross-border payments between banks should inflict immediate pain of the sort that the initial round of sanctions did not. That said, the cumulative effect of these uh, measures and of the steps taken against the Russian central bank is clearly now taking a toll. The ruble closed um, at around 84 to the U.S. dollar on Friday, but traded as low as 120 this morning. Uh, although after... Um, Central bank intervention is uh, it's now trading at around 100. But the, f- the further it goes, the greater the downstream risks. SWIFT works in a way that gives the U.S. a window into international banking, um, plumbing, and effectively a degree of control, encouraging the creation of expansion and alternative payments. So this is having an impact that perhaps Vladimir Putin had not anticipated. Bottom line, continue to pray. Uh, continue to pray for the Ukrainians, pray that the Russians who are not involved in this would not experience a backlash in this country and elsewhere, and that there would be unity in the church uh, around the world, and particularly where large Ukrainian populations uh, in this country exist alongside their Russian countrymen. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.